In this episode of Man vs. Marriage, autism and how it affects your relationship and your marriage. Or at least how it affected ours. The podcast. How good do you want your life to be? It's truly about becoming the best version of yourself that's possible. This is Man vs. Marriage. The podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Man vs. Marriage. It is I, your humble servant, the Q, Diggity Dog, in the studio with my lovely wife and my favorite person on the planet, Jeannie Moran. Hey, baby. Hey, baby. So today we're going to talk some more about autism support and to make sure that you know how to get in contact with us, it is Jeannie which is J-E-A-N-N-E, that's J-E-A-N-N-E, at mvsmpodcast.com, or Quincy, Q-U-I-N-C-Y, at mvsmpodcast.com. So that's how you get in touch with us. I just want to put that on the front side of the show, probably do it on the back side of the show, just to let you know we are going to be folding more of these autism episodes in. And the reason for that is because it is there is a growing number of people who have family members or friends with family members um, who have been affected by autism and the uh, autism spectrum disorder. And the support's changed because with the new COVID regulations, there's a lot of in-home and other things that are currently slowed down. If you're a doctor's office... And you don't have the courtesy or the decency or the flexibility to allow a child with a disability into your office because they can't wear a mask. Your rules suck. <laughs> I don't know you as a doctor, as a minister of health, as you have taken the creed of do no harm. But if a child with a disability can't wear a mask and therefore they can't get treatment, isn't that a roundabout way of doing harm? That sucks. It, it, I'm going to go further. I think it's really stupid. If everybody else is wearing a mask, what the hell are you afraid of? And if that's you... Rethink that policy, especially if you have the magic poke. Moving on, you're going to get on your soapbox here, and we don't need to do that. That's not what this episode is for. That's not what this episode is for. So moving on, I don't really episode. I don't really edit these podcasts, but maybe no. But you're I... filtering, and I can tell, and that's going to give us a lot of, of dead so, air, and that's not the topic we're discussing right now. Yeah. So let's go forward and say. Um, I think autism affects everybody's relationship differently. Um, we had more than autism going on in our relationship, in our marriage. Um, but it was something that did put a high level of stress. You know, we watch that show um, on Netflix, Love on the Spectrum. And Michael's family 
I'm sure there's been very difficult times, but he's extremely intelligent, very high functioning, and seems like a joy to be around. So that's what you get to see. Mm -hmm. They don't show you, you know, any of the other times where he may really just, you know, unleash. You don't see the meltdowns. You you the, see yeah. the, the moments where, like, the tension is high, and there's a couple of them that have had to step away from the date because they're they're feeling under pressure or they don't know what they're dealing with. But that's not even the tip of what can happen or what a meltdown yeah. can become. Um, and there's no way to prepare you for what you're going to get when you get autism. It's kind of like a mixed bag. Some days are really great, and some days I want to run for the hills and not come back for a while. Um, right. But so so Jeannie's going to take lead on this. Uh, she had a great idea to talk about you know, how it affects marriage and relationship and where it goes. So, honey, what is this episode going to look like from your perspective so we can talk about autism support and I can stay off the soapbox? Well, I think when we first got the diagnosis and we started looking for help, we went to a couple of different support groups that we had found. I mean, we drove a couple of hours from home to go to a couple of meetings just to get information and, you know, find out about people who had families like ours yeah. what to do. And um, although it was helpful in some areas, it was very um, negative in others. And the biggest one that you and I kind of glanced over was the marriage. Because at the time, we were good. I mean, we had just gotten the diagnosis, but we felt like we were okay. And therein lies the problem. We were okay. We, wouldn't, we weren't good. We weren't better. We were okay. We were surviving. And... Um, we found out through that group and some other areas, and I did look it up, the rate of divorce is debatable in yeah. um, families with autism, mainly because one parent can't always handle the stress of it or the financial requirement for it. Getting the treatments, not everybody can get the treatments. There's a lot of free state help to get you in-home and things like that, but from our experience, in-home was a freaking joke. And it caused more problems for us. Now, granted, this is not everybody's case. This was ours. The people that worked with our children did not know their ass from a hole in the ground. And that's just yeah. how I feel about it. Because if my daughter can scare you away because she's having a tantrum and you're supposedly an expert in autism, you don't belong under the umbrella of expert in autism. Because or or maybe, maybe they were just not a good match for the severity of our children with autism because there's a, there are a lot of great well, people yeah, out there. I, there are. That's what I'm saying, though. Our experience was just a horrid one. We had people that just, you could tell they were just coming in to get a paycheck. They weren't really invested in what was going on. And as much as people want to say um, the kids don't understand because they're autistic, yeah, they do. Kirsten knows the difference between someone who wants to be with her and someone who is just there. And yeah. she will play with you and mess with you. And when you are not paying attention because you, you're just there, ooh, she will get you. She will, she's, her ninja skills, man, <laughs> she's just waiting for you to get lazy and she's going to get whatever it is that she's trying to get from you. <laughs> yeah. But our experience with in-home was, was difficult. The part that we didn't focus on, and I wish there would have been more available i wish we would have taken the time to really consider the impact that this was all going to have on our marriage because we didn't and we went downhill quickly and it wasn't um autism's fault 
it wasn't the kids fault it was simply there was so much being thrown at us at one time that we lost our ability to communicate we lost ourselves um, we were so tired and exhausted from sleepless nights or having to wrestle our child to the ground to keep her from hurting herself or putting her in medications and each medication having a different reaction. I have never seen a child be put on a medication that is supposed to slow them down and help them sleep. It didn't. For Kirsten, she was on the bed rocking, banging her head, scratching her face, biting her skin. She was losing her mind, and she was six years old. Yeah. And there's nothing you can do. The medicine's in her system. There's nothing you can do until the medicine runs its course. It's an eight-hour pill, people. This was not an easy thing. And the doctor kept saying, well, just keep trying it. Sometimes you have to let it get into their system. Just keep trying it. After like four days, we were done. But thank God for Miss Monica. Right. That's and, that's some in-home support that was a godsend. She was a nurse, um very different from your traditional in-home autism help um as far as therapies go. She actually did respite care for us and um at one point she was coming in and taking over for you know, from like three in the afternoon until nine o'clock at night or 10 o'clock at night so that I could have a break. And, um, you know, if I needed to go run errands or if I needed to just be with the other kids or make dinner or whatever, she took care of some things for me just to give me a breather. And sometimes we got lucky and Kiki would fall asleep before she'd leave. Yeah. And sometimes we didn't, but it was still enough that I could at least be with the other kids if nothing else. But like I said, we didn't have a whole lot of information on what married couples do to stay married or to actually be married. It seemed like um, a lot of what I found was people were just like us. They were living in a house together and they were just trying to get through each day as it came. And um, unfortunately, after several years of dealing with it, we finally came to a head of, do we need to get a divorce? Is Because we just couldn't get along. We didn't talk. We were completely disconnected. And it wasn't that we hated each other. It wasn't that we didn't want to be with each other. We just didn't know how. Yeah, I don't I don't know how close... I can't speak for you. I don't know how close to divorce I was at the time. I just know that there was a... There was an incredible canyon between us. And... I don't know if you blame me and I blamed you, but we were, I just remember us being, you know, disconnected. We were trying, but survival mode, survival mode tends to turn off so many. Other, it's like when your body goes into survival mode, it's not taking care of your arms as far as blood flow goes. It's going to take care of the most important organs to make sure that you stay alive so it goes to the heart it goes to the brain i think that's the science the extremities they're left for dead because it's all about surviving and i think you get i think we had so much trauma going on at the time you know and our relationship has gotten so much better i don't want to get into the trap of going back and just painting the picture worse than it was but 
I don't know. I know. I know. I still loved you with everything that I had. I just. I was disconnected because I was trying to figure out how to save our home. I was trying to figure out how to somehow save our children. I was figuring out how to battle your depression. Um, I was figuring out what what would happen with the next seizure that was going to take yeah. place. I was figuring out so many different... We were being assaulted by life on so many levels that the disconnect just started getting wider and wider because like you said we didn't we thought our first obligation was to our our, our first responsibility which is better to say was to these children when in fact our first responsibility is the foundation of what this is all about which is our relationship mm-hmm. and it was it the foundation was broken we were broken. We were broken separately because we weren't talking together about what was happening in our life. We were both reactionary, just talking to each other about uh, the things that were ultimately necessary um, to get the day through. Because mentally and emotionally and physically, we were incredibly exhausted. That's my take on it. I, the, there was only one time that I really thought, "Is this thing going to end in divorce?" That's my that's my opinion. It was a gross overreaction by me, and that that was when you know I caught you talking smack behind my back, mm-hmm. um, and I was like, "I don't know if I can trust this woman." This is like that was one of like the key areas of loyalty to me, which I'm still that guy. I'm still emotionally connected to loyalty. I don't know how to, I I got boundaries to learn, but that's the only time was like, is this relationship going to work if I can't trust her? But then I was like, let's take a step back here. Okay. And I worked through it. I asked you about divorce during those times because all I continued to hear from you was the negative side of us. And I was like, it's nothing I wanted. I was like, do you want a divorce? And it was like an atom bomb underwater, you know, with whatever your reaction was. And it, it wasn't something I wanted. I was waiting for it. Okay. I you, was waiting for it. You were expecting me I was to waiting want to divorce you. Because we had so much on our plate. There was so much that kept happening. It seemed like no matter what we did, we just couldn't get our heads above water. And I was waiting for you to leave. Not because I wanted you to, but it was my expectation was you were going to quit on this and I was going to be stuck on my own. Mainly because it wasn't just the kids that we were dealing with. I was going through my own depression. Yeah, I had absolutely no hold of my own life. I felt like I was drifting all the time. And no matter how many times we tried to connect, I couldn't. Yeah. And so I just figured... That's what's natural, you know, is when things start going south, people bail. It's what I know. And if they don't bail to leave, they bail to find what they need from someone else. And then they come back to keep their responsibilities. These are the things that I know from personal experience. Not, not, you know, not what I know of you, but what I know of my own life. So 
I was waiting for the other shoe to drop. It's like this, I don't doubt it. I mean, hell, how many times do we hear in the beginning of our marriage that I was only getting pregnant to keep you trapped in a marriage? And now here we go with, now we have autism. Not that I could have planned that if I tried. Yeah. And then we had seizures. Couldn't plan that one either. You know, but it was a lot of the things that I took on as my personal fault or responsibility held me to, he's going to leave. At some point, he's going to get tired of this and he's going to leave. And so that that's kind of what I'm getting at, though, is I didn't have anyone to talk to who was going through anything similar. No one we knew went through anything like, I mean, we have friends who had kids with disabilities, but nothing like what we went through. You know, we didn't have people who understood what it felt like to have two kids in one hospital with one parent working, a third child over at my parents' house. So just kind of a, a brief look. We had two of the triplets in one hospital in the incubators. Hunter was with my parents during the day while Quincy went to work. I was down in L.A., staying with Hannah while she was going through her surgeries or her recovery. And then at night, Hannah would go to sleep. I'd leave milk down there for her, turn around, drive back up, mm -hmm. come see the other two girls, pump and leave what I could for them, stay the night with Quincy and Hunter. And then I would pump all night long, turn around, get back in the car and go back. And then we reversed it. I would stay down in LA overnight, leave my pumped milk for Hannah, come back up, see the girls for a couple hours, get to see Hunter for a little bit, see Quincy for maybe an hour for dinner, turn around and drive back. And this was our life for a good month and a half. Yeah. And this was a constant, like we were not seeing each other at all. Nobody we know knew what that was like. Nobody we know went through it. So, you know, hearing people say, oh, we, we understand, we know, we, we um, know how you feel. I used to get so pissed because you can't possibly know how I feel. You're not in this situation. And no matter how much people tried to empathize with me, I couldn't accept it because whenever I would ask a question, well, I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know what that's like. So then why are you trying to empathize with me when you can't really relate to me? And I know that's kind of an asshole thing to say, but put yourself in, in that position of, you just wanted someone, anyone, to understand and give you something that made it feel better or gave you something to hope for. And everybody that gave us these things to hope for was doctors or therapies. And we're going to do this and you're going to see these changes. No, we didn't. We didn't see those changes. Mm -hmm. You know, if you do this therapy for this amount of time, you'll see progress. No, we didn't. Kirsten is still the same today at 19 as she was at eight years old. It did not change. I think in some ways she's a little more rogue, and in some ways she's a little bit better. I think the things that they were pinpointing, though, are useless. You know, in my opinion, getting her to be able to put a sticker on the right spot on a piece of paper so that she can recognize a jacket is red is not nearly as important to me as her understanding you need to hold the rail going down the stairs. You know what I mean? And, and I understand these are huge, vast differences, but some of the stuff that they focused on just didn't make sense to me because there were so many other things that we needed. Like, how do I help her when she's tantruming? Oh, you just let her write it out. Letting her write it out led to her hurting herself and physically hurting me because there was no other option. 
Just let her ride it out. I can't. She's hurting herself. You can't just let your kid bang her head against a freaking wall. You know, and in our situation, and as stupid as it sounds, we get blamed for that. We yeah. get blamed. If she comes to school with the bruise, how did she get it? Because she's sped. So she had to, we had to have done it. She couldn't have done it herself. Never mind the fact the girl is a toe walker, has been her entire life, and not stable on her feet for any length of time. Wobbles all the time and falls down the stairs regularly. But it's on us. If we were constantly on eggshells, I was anyway, of every little thing because people came at us and thought we were abusing the kids and we weren't. But because they didn't understand, you know, when a cop comes to your door and says, I've got this complaint, um, I need to see your daughter, okay? She's sitting on the couch rocking and squealing and she's got very little language and, um, you know, he says, well, we've got this complaint that says that she has this mark on her and I need to know what happened. I said, yeah, her, her brother bit her, her brother, who is also autistic. They got into an argument and neither one of them knows how to communicate properly. And then when the cop looks at you and goes, oh shit, are you serious? Dead serious. I have three of them with autism. He feels pity for me because some idiot made the wrong report. But we still had to go through the process of having CPS come in the house and explaining to people what we're dealing with. Nobody got it because nobody's seen it before. Well, I think they were right to investigate it. Uh, the The person who made the report um, gave the opposite information <laughs> that you gave them, you know, as far as what had happened. Um, but with in regards to that, I'm, I'm okay with them. It's still... It still hurts, you know, when these things happen. I mean, for the safety of children abroad, I'm glad police officers go out there and do the investigatory part. And fortunately that day, um, like the people who came in the house um, to, to talk to the kids, and the kids showered them with love and affection because they thought they were like a grandma or, mm -hmm. you know, that guy was there. And, the, you know, the guy who asked... <laughs> the guy who asked Hunter if does your dad ever hit your mother and he said he spanks her on the booty or something yeah, like he that. Spanks her on the butt. Yeah. That was uh that was hilarious at a very you know, at a very tense time. When you're simply doing the absolute best that you can and people twist information that they're given or just make their own assessment and make uh, you know, baseless accusations, um, and I mean, those those things in themselves can be really well, see, scary. That, that was it. it. It's not that I'm upset that the person reported it. If she thought there was a problem, I understand why she reported it. And having the cop come in and see what was going on and tell me to my face, you know, he, he felt bad because this was definitely a misunderstanding. I don't have a problem with that part of it. What what bothers me is I began to live in fear because mm -hmm. of it. Yeah. Everything that we did from that moment on, I mean, we had already, we had just gotten out of the molestation stuff. And then we got the diagnosis for autism. We're still dealing with seizures and, and Hannah's shunt. And then this on top of everything, dude, I shut everything down. I wanted to bubble wrap our kids and never leave the house because I couldn't trust anyone in my opinion. Yeah. Now I have to look at these people who are supposed to be helping me and question, are they really helping me or are they judging me and watching, waiting for me to do something wrong so they can take my kid away? 
Yeah, and and I just think that they were some of those, you know, young ladies that came over to help with Kirsten were simply not a good match no. for her severity of autism or her whatever her version is. Now, one I think I remember one young lady that came in and after day one she was like, "This ain't for me." We went through three nurses in two days before Miss Monica showed up. Yeah, because the first lady that came. Um, approached Kirsten and okay rule one of a, come approaching a child with autism don't touch if you don't know for sure you shouldn't touch simply because some of them will freak out um, and this lady for whatever reason came in and the very first thing she did was grabbed Kirsten's shoulder to introduce herself and Kirsten bit her and it took her all of 10 minutes to say, I just called the agency. They're going to send you someone new. I can't do this. And it's, I understand the lady freaking out. I do. Kirsten broke skin. I get that. But at the same time, she grabbed her. And, and not hurting her, but Kirsten doesn't do touch unless she initiates. Well, I mean, that's that's just a... I mean, we were, obviously we're autism parents, but that is, with any kid, really, with any kid, I would say, but for children with disabilities. Approach with caution. <laughs> I mean, just the basics, children with disabilities, is you just don't walk up and touch them. But obviously her, the agency didn't prepare her no I don't um, think for what did. she was walking into i i guess that's the situation i don't know but with that being said that's just that's a part of how our story went look everybody's may not be the same and i don't know what you have next on the agenda everybody's that's, may not sorry go ahead. It, it may not be the same for everybody but i'm going to tell you when this autism diagnosis came we had a tremendous amount of trauma going on in our family already. And so those were just like precursors to us having a difficult time and going into survival mode and putting our relationship on the back burner well. and trying to put out all these other fires with a limited amount of supply of water and a limited amount of supply of experience putting fires out. It started my mindset of doing everything out of fear, including our marriage. Because as things progressed and things got harder for us, um, people started disappearing. It became hard for them. We burned them out. They couldn't handle it. Or, you know, Kirsten would become too much for a babysitter and we would lose childcare and we didn't have a break anymore. Or, um, you know, we had family that had opinions, friends who had opinions that just didn't register with what was going on. And um, I just, I lived in fear of no one's going to stay anyway, so why the hell would you? Mm. Everyone else was kind of taken off. And, um, but no one ever, and all the support and all the things that we did, no one ever really put any kind of emphasis on what are you and your husband doing? How are you and your husband doing? How are you two in your relationship? No one ever asked us, how's your heart? 
everyone always asks us, how are the kids? How are you dealing with this? What kind of services do you have? Who's coming in to help? You know, are you getting therapy for the kids? It was always around the trauma that was going on, but no one really, I don't think anyone knew how to approach our relationship, including us. Well, yeah. I mean, just to look at both sides of our family, who had any experience with kids that were disabled, what did they have to look at? How would they how would they have had the experience to understand, oh, you guys better make sure your relationship is tight. Yeah. I mean, just look at it. There was there was a mental illness on my side of the family, you know, back with my my papa's siblings. I don't know now, I don't know if that was some form of autism or if it's like schizophrenia or what. But who in our family or in our circle really had any kind of dealing with anybody that had it? I mean, my sister had a a good friend who had a, a child with Down syndrome. I don't know the status of, of her relationship. I, I heard some of the hardships she went through mm-hmm. with just trying to be able to sleep, mm-hmm. you know, which looking back... Maybe I should have reached out to her to see something. But I just, their life comes at everybody. And in this situation, there was just no playbook. And I don't, our family, you know, we had, we had people saying dumb things. It's where did they find this information? I have no idea. TLC. They had, <laughs> yeah, they, I mean, they had, they had some kind of information to go on, usually from TV or, you know, some something that they read. Who knows what rabbit holes they went down to hopefully try to help us. And some of the things that were said to us were just absolutely ridiculous. Um, but people do what they see. They say what they think they know. And I don't think that any of them were equipped to work through what we were working through. And none of them, you know, none of them had the foresight to say, hey, unless we just don't remember because we were pretty sleep deprived and stressed out, you know, they really didn't have it. That's why I'm thankful for us producing these episodes about autism and marriage, because maybe somebody listening to this has a friend who or family member who has children with disabilities and this will give them the foresight to say, hey, let me ask you a question. How how are you, you know, investing in your relationship to make sure that's solid? Or, hey, I know this, this guy on a podcast, and they have some issues. They had some issues. I guess saying issues. I don't know. You could talk to me really <laughs> straight. Um, but they... They've had some experience working through their relationship and kids with disabilities. And I encourage you to listen because there's no playbook for this. A, I'm proud of how hard you're working. I don't know where you are in your relationship, but maybe these people can give you some perspective. They don't they can't say, Oh, I know how you feel, but they can say, I relate to what it is you are going through yeah. because they've been through it. There's always gonna be somebody that's going through something worse. And I try to keep that in my mind when I start to get in the mud. With that being said, it's imperative in order to help the human beings around you 
that you don't keep this episode to yourself. And I know it can be tricky. I know it can be tricky to figure out how to approach somebody at times. Um, but it's not it's not like off book these days to say, hey, I heard a podcast. Do you know what a podcast is? Um, and maybe just make that just the easy, the low-hanging fruit in an effort to get them some support or at least a place to vent or somewhere to turn where somebody can help them, you know, see through the smoke and, and potentially help their relationship. If Rita hadn't posed the question, how do you guys deal with the trauma? How do you discuss it? What are those conversations like? If she hadn't brought that to me, I never would have even thought about it because we didn't. We went through stuff and we just got through it. You know what? We went through it. We we might have had a heated argument. We might have had a debate. We might have had something going on with the kids. And then, okay, crisis averted. It's done now. We're moving on. We're just going to go to the next thing. Because all we were looking for was just another day to be better. Another day to be better. But we never actually talked about how did that impact you? What do you need from me? How can I help you process this? We never, we didn't think about those things. And had Rita not brought that to me, I don't know that I ever would have. Yeah, and I think I think a great illustration, just the way it's playing out in my mind, is to say we were putting out fires. We never went back to check on the collateral damage. And that, see what's left of the structure. Yeah, what <laughs> what we never went back to look and see what was burned and how important it was to the structure of our quote home because there was another fire even when there were no fires we were expecting more fires well and it it taught us in in having those conversations with the reading these were hard talks these were really hard talks because you had to bring up old emotions and you had to relive those moments again and they're not easy even now they're not easy but it also taught us well how do the kids feel Mm-hmm. What what were the kids going through when they watched Hannah on the floor and the paramedics trying to shove a needle in her arm? Where were they? They were all watching in the hallway. It's like, yeah. okay, well, did you talk to them? Did you comfort them? Did you ask them, you know, what were their thoughts? That dramatically changed how we do everything with our kids. When something big happens, that's one of the first things that we do now is sit everybody down and say, okay, we know that this happened. Um, we need to know where you guys are at with it, what you guys are feeling, what you're thinking about it. How can we help you? You know, and it's a free pass. Say what you need to say and let us try and help them get through it or help them work through it because it's not something that we were ever taught until we had to be taught. Yeah. We have our typicals who will, you know, just really bellyache about things. Sometimes it's warranted and then sometimes it's like, just let them get the air out of the balloon. Let the air out of the balloon. And then there's some of the kids who don't want to talk in front of other people, but they can come to us later um, and discuss what their frustrations were. It just know. paved the way for us to open communication for them. That's all it was is I want them to be able to know that they can come to us and bring it to us and not be judged. Because it, just like us, you know, I want to say this, but I'm afraid if I say it, I'm going to get in trouble or you're going to be mad at me because this is how I'm feeling. I don't want that barrier because that's how we did it. 
I didn't say things to you because what if I said it wrong and then we were going to fight because it's going to hurt your feelings and that's not what I want to do. And we, we lived a very filtered life. And then we just kind of came to a point with Rita's help to say, okay, we're going to say it ugly. You know, now we're at a place, thank God, where we can just, I'm going to say this ugly or this might hurt, but you need to know. And we need to discuss it. And now some of the kids, not all of them, but some of them have gotten to a place where they could say, you're not going to want to hear this, but, and they'll tell me something and it's like, Ooh, okay. That hurt. But, but that's how she feels. I need to know how she feels. And if it's something that is warranted, I explain, this is why you got the reaction that you got. If it's something that is, um, you know, I, maybe I overstepped a boundary or I said something that, that hurt them. I have to go back and I have to fix that. But if we didn't teach them that, had we not learned it from Rita to go back and say, okay, this is what was going on. And what I needed most was for you to be the one to stand up to the doctor because I was, I had so much sitting on my shoulders. All I want to do is take care of the kid. If you could deal with the a-hole doctor who thinks that he knows everything and I'm an idiot and just let me deal with our daughter. Can we do that? The very next time we had a situation, as soon as he knew that's what was my need in the situation, even when he wasn't there, we talked on the phone, the doctor saying this, this, and this, I don't like him. I don't want him dealing with her. This is not our regular doctor. This is what's happening. I know her. I know the situation. I'm on familiar ground. Mm -hmm. And then Quincy made a phone call and dealt with the doctor. And then we got what we needed handled because all I had to worry about was making sure that Hannah was comfortable. She had her meds, her pain was handled. And I kept watch on her because I knew what to look for Uh and he could leave me alone. Trying to fight with another adult when you're trying to take care of your kid and you're trying to be the soft place for your kid is really difficult because I can be soft for my daughter. But the minute she sees me go into um, mama bear mode, I guess is what you call it. Uh, now they become scared because I'm angry and I'm frustrated. And for me to lose it is, is a warning to them. You know, I don't want to do that. I don't want to scare my child. I want to be there to comfort her. And I want you to deal with this part of it. Oh yeah. We just, we had to come up with those. Um, how do you put those roles? We had to know who needed to do what for each other to get through it. Once we figured that out, the last couple of times that we've had to go through things, it's been a lot less traumatic, I think, for both of us to be able to say, okay, I'm this, this is my role, this is your role, this is what we're doing, and we do it. Yeah, it's the phraseology. It's like, what do you need from me in this situation? How can I help? What does it look like? And then we just, we go into whatever the this, this, this situation is prepared so that we know that our needs are being met. And one of our needs is making sure that our child's taken care of. Exactly. And then once it's over, we kind of, you know, go into like a decompression, talk about what we just went through, ask the kids how they're doing, um, and if, is there anything we can do to help them, and then we kind of try to close the chapter on that. And before, you know, we did not do that. We were busy surviving and putting out fires, yeah. and we just didn't know any better. That's the facts. We did not know any better. Um, And that's the facts for our family, too. I don't think they knew any better. I think they meant well. But I have a tendency to see the best in people anyway. 
even when they're a garbage human being. And that's not in reference to any of my family members or my friends, but that's just the tendency in me. Well, I think the biggest thing to take away from this episode is if you or someone you know is dealing with autism or a child with a disability, and you can see that they're overwhelmed, they're tired. You, I mean, you'll see it. You'll know. Um, just reach out. Even if they're not talking about it, reach out and um, kind of encourage them to talk to each other or maybe take them out. You know, go on a double date and have a conversation. We had to do that a couple of times with other families who were going through it just to say, how are you doing? What can we help with? And then it got them to open up about things because we got to share what we we had dealt with. And it was kind of like giving them the opportunity to say, okay, we're on familiar ground. So I can say what I want to say freely and you're not going to judge me because we had been through hell and back. Um, I think that's the biggest thing is people are afraid to say what they're dealing with or what they're going through because they don't want to be judged. They don't want their child to be judged. It's not the kid's fault. Well, and, and also, I want to take it a step further. We want to hear their story. Jeannie and I want to hear your story or their story. And that's why we're putting these episodes out, A, to support, but B, you have an outlet to tell your story. So... To help others. We'll schedule some time. We're not going to charge you anything to to talk to you on email. We're not going to charge you anything to have like a brief conversation um, or to, you know, just a place to have an outlet. Um, at least I don't, th- are we going to charge people like thousands of dollars? If that mm, makes you no. call, yeah, we'll charge you a thousand bucks. We don't even know what that looks like. We just want to hear your story. If it helps you, episode 44, 45, 46, Episode 122, 123, 124, it covers autism in our family. And I know it's sprinkled throughout here. It's sprinkled throughout here in some episodes when you hear knocking on the door, screaming in the background, or Happy celebrating. <laughs> yeah, it's it's all in there. But we want to hear your story. We want to hear, we want to hear, you know, those people that you admire that are getting the job done and they are investing in their relationship but you never know unless you ask them maybe you feel like it's none of your business i've always appreciated the people that have taken the time to just say hey how is your how are your children how is your family how are you i've appreciated that and i'm even finding that in the business world as much as people you know say everybody has their own thing going on. But when somebody takes the time to call and ask about how you're doing and there's nothing else there, it leaves an impression. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. With that being said, we'll wrap this episode up. And let me remind you, you're going to keep hearing about this. Let me remind you, and it'll be at different parts of the show. I don't want you to skip over it. I just want like a minute of your time. I'll put myself on the clock. Support your local ranchers. Jeannie made a great point. We're about family. We're about legacy. Since 2015 in America, there's been like 20,000 family ranches every year that go out of business. And in my opinion, it's unacceptable. 
let's support our local ranchers. If you're in America, buy American beef. Buy American pork, chicken. Buy those products. If you're in another country, support your local family, your local legacy. Support them. Because they they have history that goes year after year. Investing in the land, you know, raising their livestock, supporting their family, supporting their community. That's what these ranchers do. Especially if you're, you know, in the Southern California area. There are several great ranchers. Um, I know one that I've talked to personally that I've decided to buy my own beef from, which is Gloria at uh, Woody Ranch in Woody, California. She is a spectacular human being. And that ranch was started way back in 1862 in her family. That is legacy. That's what we believe in. That's what we want to support. So if you're a vegan and you hate me for talking about beef, well, then go find a freaking local farmer's market and buy some vegetables from people that are local. Support your local business please. And thank you. If you do, you're awesome. If you don't, you're going to get an email from corporate. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) anyway, that is, that's all, that's all the time we got for this particular episode that comes with autism, marriage, and relationship. And how does it impact your marriage? That's our story. I'm sure it won't be the last time we tell it, but for Jeannie Moran, I am Quincy Moran, AKA the Q dog. And this is Man vs. Marriage. The podcast. How good do you want your life to be? You gotta live on purpose. For a purpose. It's truly about becoming the best version of yourself that's possible. This is Man vs. Marriage, the podcast. <laughs>